0: You are listening to The Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 105. This is The Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At The Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing you should do well hello everyone my name is scott wellens and i'm your host of the best in wealth podcast this is a show dedicated to helping real people that is you my friend build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor. And today, I'm extremely fired up. I do not know why. I had a client meeting earlier today, and about a minute into the conversation, she said, boy, you're in a happy mood. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I am in a happy mood, and let me tell you why. You know, I haven't talked about my wife on this podcast in a really long time, and she tells me she doesn't listen to it anymore because I make fun of her too much. And I don't I don't think that's really the case. I think she doesn't listen to me because number one, she doesn't like anything to do with uh finance or investing, and number two, she's sick and tired of listening to my voice. But boy oh boy, did she make my day today. I mean, she is my soulmate through and through. I love her to death so my wife she she just hasn't been feeling great lately just been feeling off so she went to go uh, get a physical today and before I go on with that story just want to let you know that uh, I have a couple ailments myself in fact I have had GERD for many years isn't that just an awful word. I mean, GERD stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. Basically heartburn. Persistent heartburn. Enough where you need to take a heartburn pill every day. And that's me. That's been me for years. But you know, my wife talks about me making fun of her on the show. She makes fun of me on a daily basis. So let's be fair. And she she often likes to talk about my GERD, just because she likes to say the name because it's an awful name. But I got a text from her today after the doctor visit and the text read, so the doctor thinks I might have acid reflux. She told me to get on that dumb medicine you're on for one month. I might have GERD. wow. Did that make my day? I just sent her back one of those weird emojis with, with the eyes bulging out and just said, welcome to the club. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, topic of the day is the results of conventional investing. So if you, if you haven't listened to episode 104 last week, I encourage you to go to, go to bestinwealth.com 104. And or go to your favorite podcast app and listen to episode 104 titled Conventional Investing. And man, we sure did talk a lot about conventional investing last week because if you didn't agree with me from episode number 103, another one for you to maybe listen to, that's bestinwealth.com slash 103. Well, then you're participating in some sort of conventional investing because you don't believe that market pricing is fair. And last week, we went over the four different ways that people participate in conventional investing, which is a large population of the investing community. And truth be told, this is the way everybody invested back in the day, back when stock markets opened, back pre-1900, all the way into the 1950s, into the 1960s. This was the only way to invest, conventional investing. Either trying to find hot stocks or selling stocks that you think are losers or trying to time the market or listening, uh, um, um, subscribing to some newsletter that's giving you hot tips or watching the news and making moves or reading your favorite investing magazine and, and acting on the tips that they give you. This is all conventional investing. That's all there was. And then what happened? What happened in 1959? I'll tell you what happened. Science happened. Science happened in the world of investing. It was born. And the only reason it was born was because of computers. Computers were just coming out. So in 1959, a $300,000 grant was issued to the University of Chicago, where they set up what is today still in existence called the CRISP, the Center for Research on Security Prices. And with that $300,000, they bought and maintained a computer and filled it up with data. They filled it up with every stock that ever existed on the stock exchange and every price that. ended at at every day and all the dividends it paid out and all the different mutual funds that have propped up during uh, the time pre-1960 and all of that data and the closing price every year all pumped in to the crisp and for the first time in history we figured out what the overall stock market has done through at this time was the early 60s (laughs) I mean, you think about it, that was a long, long time ago, but this is, this is a crazy time if you were a professor at the University of Chicago, because this was all great stuff. And for the first time, they figured out that the stock market delivered up until the early 60s at that time, 9% per year. That's our very first benchmark, and we're going to talk about benchmarking next week. That's the benchmark that we had. So the first time ever we can look at mutual funds and see if that mutual fund is actually beating the market. That is the stated goal of any conventional investing philosophy is to beat the market. And how do you know if you can beat the market if you don't know what the market is? But now we knew. Now we knew. So if you were a smart investor in the 60s, you could fire somebody that wasn't beating the market and hire somebody that might be as long as they were keeping track of their track records. But I'm not concerned about those folks back in the 1960s. I'm concerned about you today. I mean, that's why you're listening to this show. You're worried about you. And I'm worried about you and the cool thing about the crisp though my friends is that that thing is in existence today updated through yesterday and that's why all the research that has come from the crisp well hopefully when you're reading a research paper the crisp is cited because that's the authority of all known stock information so what can you and i do with the crisp well most of us invest in mutual funds. Most of us want to diversify, and the easiest way to diversify is to invest in mutual funds, but most mutual funds that exist today are through one of these four conventional methods of investing that we talked about last week in episode 104. But now that we have a benchmark, now we can see how we're doing or how these mutual fund managers are doing. I mean, these are the smartest people. Trust me, they got much higher IQs than I do. Very, very smart people. But what we've learned in the last couple of weeks is that the market is smarter than all of us. It's smarter than you and it's smarter than me. And I have in front of me this graph that I'm going to show you to see how these really smart mutual fund managers have been doing compared to the market. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what has happened the last 15 years. What the heck were you doing 15 years ago anyway? I mean, that would have been January 1st, 2003. We were just coming up off of that awful dot-com bubble. Hopefully, the Green Bay Packers were in the playoffs, but I'm not sure that they were. I was in hardcore trying to court my wife, spending all kinds of money trying to get her to continue to date me. I think during that period, though, we had we had what I call a little bit of a dark period. I don't like to talk about it. She was breaking up with me. She got back with me, though anyway anyway that what were you doing in 2003 well i'll tell you what i know about 2003 when it comes to the stock market there were at the beginning of 2003 2828 mutual funds that you or i had to choose from at the beginning of the year 2828 And on average, there's a lot less right now, but I'm guessing there were about 5,000 publicly traded companies in the US. So you're looking at a mutual fund for every two companies. That's a lot of mutual funds, a lot of choices. And who's running these mutual funds, these conventionally managed mutual funds? Really super smart people that we can trust with our money to beat the market because that's the stated goal. So let's fast forward to the end of 2017. Well, here's one number to get you going. At the end of 2017, 51% of those 2,828 mutual funds were still in existence. So that means basically half of them went out of business. What? Half half went out of business. I can think of only one reason why a mutual fund would go out of business, and that's with poor performance. If I'm running a mutual fund and we're beating the market on a consistent basis, you better believe people are pouring their money in to get a piece of the action. They're following the herd. They're chasing the hot dot. That's what we do. 49% of them out of business. To me, as one who spends a lot of time researching the stock market, it makes total sense to me. Because even of these 28 or 2,828 funds, there's something else ugly that goes on in the mutual fund world. Something called incubator funds. Here's what an incubator fund looks like. Well, let's get five or so mutual fund managers. Let's have all five of them start an incubator fund, but we're not going public yet. We'll just get some money in from some private accredited investors, and we'll just call it a managed account for now. It's just an incubator fund. It's it's below the radar. It's not part of these 2,828 funds. And after a couple of years, maybe three, let's see who's got the best performance. Let's see if any of them have been beating the market and chances are one probably is. So let's let's fold those other four managed accounts into this one mutual fund that we'll go public with now and we'll print up all the glossy paperwork for. This is gonna be our, our flagship fund that we're gonna advertise in the different financial magazines and it's going to be the one we go with. I mean, does that sound fair? That means that those other four funds don't even appear in the 2828 uh, funds because there's no history on it. They never got into the crisp because they never were registered with the SEC. It's only 49% survive. When you look at it, that means that the survival rate is much worse than that. But we're going to use the numbers that we have. So here's the real thing that might blow your mind, it blew my mind. Of the 2828 funds, how many of those funds, what percentage of those funds actually beat its stated benchmark? We started in 2003, now we're at the end of 2017, 51% of those are really are still around, but how many actually beat the market. Answer, 14% of mutual funds beat the market. Think about that for a second. Here you are starting a brand new job and you get this 401k paperwork handed to you that says you need to select your investments that are going to lead you into retirement. And you're looking at 20 or so possibilities. Your odds aren't good, my friend. Your odds aren't good that you're going to find a winning fund because of those 20 funds, only 14% of them on the average are going to beat the market. That's it. Why? Because the market is smarter than you. It's smarter than me. It's smarter than the guy who's making millions of dollars trying to beat the market for you. 14 percent over that 15-year period ending 2017. Only 14 percent of stock managers survived and outperformed their benchmark. Said another way, 86 percent of stock managers who started the 15-year period underperformed the market index. Unbelievable. If you believe in conventional management, your odds are very poor, of beating the market, period. Go back to last week, episode 104, bestandwealth.com slash 104. Listen, here's what's worse. I think a lot of people don't even know that they're playing a role in conventional management. And just one more thing on that topic too, because I'm going to post these uh, at Best in Wealth. If you go to bestinwealth.com, look at episode 104. I'm going to post uh, this graph and then this other one that I'm showing, but I'm not telling you to believe me either. Do something for me. Go to your computer, not on your phone while you're driving, but go to your computer and Google something for me. Google SPIVA, S P i I'm doing it right now. I'm getting on my computer. I'm at Google, opening up a box. Look, just typing in S-P-I-V-A, enter. And the very first thing that comes up is SPIVA-S&P Dow Jones Indices. And if you scroll without even clicking on the top, go down a little bit, you'll see SPIVA mid-year 2017. This is a report that comes out that S&P comes out with. It's called the SPIVA U.S. uh, Report Card. It's an independent study that confirms exactly what's on my graph. In this report, you'll find all the different uh, indices in the overall stock market and how well that conventional management works, and you're going to find the same kind of numbers as I just reported to you. So let's move on for just a second. I thought this was going to be a super short podcast, and, and now it's not. I do need to cover one other thing, because here's what folks tell me. Scott, you might be right. Maybe only 14% over a 15-year period, 14% have beat the market. 86% of mutual fund managers have underperformed the market. But here's what I do. I look at my 401k. On there shows the three, the five, and the 10-year average. I'm going to find the very best mutual fund manager, and that's who I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the the folks that had the best results because they got to be the ones that are in the top 14. Well, there's research on that too. There's research done on the search for persistence. Do these mutual fund managers, and let's just look at a three-year period, do they continue to outperform the market if they did in the first three-year period? It's the second graph, and I'm going to post that best in wealth. Because a lot, and let me repeat, a lot of investors resort to using track records as a guide to selecting funds, Reasoning, reasoning that a manager's past success is likely to continue in the future. It makes sense, number one. And number two, that's the information we're given when we're handed our 401k packet or our 529 packet or when we read about mutual funds or look in a magazine. We always see past performance. But does this assumption pay off? The research from the CRISP offers evidence of the contrary. The exhibit that I'm going to show you is among funds, and it's, it's kind of a busy one, but it's among fun, funds ranked in the top quartile. The top 25% of all mutual fund managers and their performance based on a previous three-year returns and then looking at the next 3 years worth of returns let me give you just the most previous or the most recent example that we have so we took the top 25% of all mutual fund managers performance from the 3 year period 2012 to 2014 now we got our top 25% of all mutual fund managers if there were 1,000 funds, and there's a whole lot more, but if there was 1,000, let's take the best 250 funds. They all may not have beat the market, but they're the best of the best of that three-year period. Now, let's look at these 250 funds, or whatever the number is, in its subsequent three-year period, 2015 through 2017, because if we picked the best of the best, well, the best of the best should show up in the top 25% again, but evidence says they don't. In fact, in that second three-year period, only 29% of those top 25% of funds actually persisted. So here you are, let's say there's 1,000 mutual funds, you got a listing of the best 250 from the three-year period, only 35%. or only 29% of those actually persisted in the top 25%. The rest were well below that. In fact, when we look at three-year periods starting in 2004, the average is only 26% that persist in a subsequent three-year period. This information is for everyone to look at it, but very few people do. And let me wrap this up. Tell you there are some fund managers that might be better than others, but track records alone may not provide enough insight to identify management skill. Stock returns contain a lot of noise, and impressive track records may result from good luck. It, might, it may result from an incubator fund that we talked about. The assumption that past. Strong performance will continue often proves faulty, potentially leaving many investors disappointed. So what do we do, Scott? Where do we go from here? If, if most mutual funds underperform the market and most of them all participate in conventional management, what do we do I'll tell you what you do. You tune in next week where we're going to talk about one of the next two ways when you think about the market differently, when you act in a way where you believe that market pricing is fair, you can begin to access the power of the markets. And we're gonna take our next step in the journey, our next step in investment science, and see where it leads us. Man, I had to get a drink of water off after getting off my soapbox. Are you using conventional management to guide your investing? Are you? Be honest. Do you know? If you are, were you familiar with your chances of success? Before I started researching the stock market, I sure wasn't. I had no idea. I chose mutual funds exactly the way that I shouldn't I chose them based on past performance most of us have no idea most of us do not have a clue how we're investing our money how we're trying to set ourselves up as family stewards to give our family the best chance of success But if we're participating in something that has a really low odds for success, what are we doing? I mean, we are family stewards. We have a commitment to our family to do what's in the best interest of our family, right? Which means that you have homework to do You need to figure out how you are invested currently. And if you don't know, I want you to email me, scott at bestandwealth.com. I will x-ray your portfolio for free. And the next thing you need to do, you need to tune in next week and the weeks after as we unpack the science of investing. My friends, it's not that hard, but as family stewards, it's necessary. I want you guys all to have one unbelievable week and I'm going to see you win. I'm going to see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. See you later. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance to compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.